0: happen during soundcheck, if you know Rich. It could be Goo Goo Dolls, like we've just heard. It could be Chris Stapleton. It could be a variety. It could be Dave Matthews. You just never know, because that guy's incredibly... Where did he go? Did he go hiding while I'm saying nice things? He's just incredibly talented. There he is. There's Rich. That's the guy. I was just telling everybody how good-looking you are. Oh, man. Well, I'm really happy to report this morning that there was nothing that woke us up at 5. And I just want to say emphasis on us, because our friends, the bakers who we share a cabin with, did have something that woke them up at 4.50, and it was their children's walkie-talkies that were out of battery. And the alarm went off. I'm really grateful to say that we're not close enough to have heard that. Um, But that's really great. But... Oh man, it's been good. You know, we are in, again, Ephesians, and I would just encourage you to open up your scriptures uh, today, this morning, as we dive into it. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4, and we're going to get there in just a second. But just a real quick recap. This is an amazing book. It's a book that is like a gem. As you turn it, as you read it, as you hear it again and again, God is going to shine a sense of his truth and his light in a brand new way as we read it. And there's so much richness in this book um, that I think we can spend our whole lives Uh, seeing, hearing, bringing into our souls. And as we learned yesterday morning, God has given us every spiritual blessing, every spiritual blessing from God's hand is ours. And last night, we talked about how we've been made alive, that we've been moved from death to life. And I'm grateful for Rich's prompting that God gave him this morning around what discipleship looks like because it's so true. Oftentimes when I'm struggling, I've lost sight of who God is. When I'm feeling anxious... When I'm feeling more dead than I am alive, I've lost sight of who God is because what's true? Jesus is alive. When I've lost sight and I think about my life being one of scarcity, it's because I've lost sight of who God is. Because God gives an abundance. He gives new life. He gives us everything that we need every single day to be faithful unto him. And today, as we start this day, what we're going to be reminded of in the fourth chapter of Ephesians is that in Christ, that's the phrase that we're anchoring into this week, in Christ, because of who God is, we are one. We are already one. So I'd love to just pray for our time today. Would you join me? God, let nothing that I say distract from what you have given to us for thousands of years. This word of truth, it's alive and it's active. What we know, Lord, through the presence of your Holy Spirit is that you have a conversation that's unique with every single one of us. And so, Lord, would you just speak in this time? As we read your word, as I share thoughts, God, just speak to our hearts and help us to know what it looks like to embrace fully more of who you are every day and as a result of who you are today specifically just i want to ask through the power and the presence of your holy spirit that you would ignite us with a vision of how unified we can be when we keep our eyes fixed on you let that be so now in jesus name amen now i don't need to be the one to tell you that we do, that we live in a divided time now, there's always been division, but it just seems like over the last couple of years, it's just that division has just spiked. We can divide, we can ignite, we can combust in division um, over just simple things. And I've thought and searched my heart, what are some simple examples of things that we can, like, unify behind? And I think one of those is ice cream. Yeah? No, most people. And if for those people that I missed, you, we can at least unite around that cake that we had last night. <laughs> No, just me. Maybe I was the only one that was that fired up about that cake. I would go into the kitchen right now and have like seven pieces. But we can unite our own ice cream. Our family can unite our own ice cream. We can be having a hard moment and we can just say, let's go get ice cream. And everybody's spirits lift for like three seconds. Because then the dilemma is, where do we go? We live in Excelsior. There's options in Excelsior. And options sometimes are the worst Because if you're just only given one option, you just know where you're going to go. So oftentimes it doesn't always combust into a debate. But sometimes it's, do we go to Lick's downtown Excelsior? Do we go to Adele's that has that delicious frozen custard that they make somehow? And it's like divine. Or do we go to Tommy's Tonka Trolley? And sometimes there's a debate that ignites. And we get a little divided for just a moment. And then we remember what we're uniting around. Let's go get ice cream. Stop it. Ice cream is something that we can unify around. Now, that's very, very simple, right? But it's, I think, important for us to attach ourselves to just interesting ideas around things that we can unite around, which are reflectant upon truly what we can unite around, which is Jesus himself. The result is unity. God has it for us. And I think in a beautiful way, and I've said this a couple times already, we're living this right now. Like this week, right here at Mount Carmel, we're living the vision, the prayer of Jesus that he prayed that his church would be one. We're together, and it's an amazing thing. So let's open up Ephesians 4, chapter uh, chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. I would read it right out of here, but I only have two hands. All right, let's read together verses 1 through 6. Here's what Paul writes. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient bearing with one another in love. Verse three, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There's one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. that word one sticks out. In Christ, we are what? We are one. We are one. And I think this is an important topic right now for us because we're obviously in this shared experience where we're living this. But the world around us, the church around us, the neighborhoods around us could use a whole lot more unity. And the only way that unity is going to come is through Jesus himself. In Christ, we are already one and we're called to keep the unity that Jesus himself died to establish. And we glorify God by doing so. So three big questions today. First of all, who is God? Second, who are we called to be as his church? And then third, what is the result of us stepping in with persistence to that oneness? So first, who is God? God is one. We hear that reflected. There's one body, one spirit, just as you were called. One God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Now, Paul is writing to primarily an audience of Jewish Christians in Ephesus followers of Jesus who knew the way of Judaism. And one of the central realities of Judaism that they called for is called the Shema. It's in Deuteronomy 6.4. And it would be something that they would repeat over and over again. And they would teach it to their kids. It was something that they unified around. And here's what it says. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is one. The Lord is one. And the beautiful thing that we're going to spend our entire lives on this side of heaven getting our arms wrapped around is that the Lord is one. But yet he's three. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, perfect union, perfect unity, perfect community. That's why we crave community so deeply and when we know that we're incomplete without it because we're made in the image of a triune God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, perfect union, sacrificial love for one another that we step into as created in his image. We're simply put, to be unified is to be like God because this is who God is. When we become divided, we lose sight of who God is. God is one. God is one. Because of who God is, unity in the church glorifies him because we live like him, and it magnifies his character into this world. Secondly, who is God? God is the author of unity. One of the things that's amazing is that in divided times, when unity breaks forth, it's winsome. Let me give you an example. You've seen the movie Miracle? 1980 hockey team... Uh, Kurt Russell, he's playing Herb Brooks. There's a moment, you might remember this in the movie. I thought about this as I was thinking about this week. These you know, previously known Division I college hockey players all unify to become the United States Olympic hockey team. And they're going to play in Lake Placid, New York. Did I get that right, Lake Placid? They're going to play in Lake Placid. Obviously, the Russian team is the one that they're primarily competing against. But when they start playing together to prepare for the Olympics, you see their division. And their division is based on where they played Division I hockey, previous to that. They were competitors against one another. They got into fist fights, and it was dividing them, and they played against this team. I don't remember what it was, but they got demolished. And at the end of it, you might remember this, Herb Brooks had enough. He said, I'm going to have them skate killers. And so he sent them, skating back and forth, and then what would he do? He would say what word? Again. They'd go bound and back, and then he would say, Again, I mean, even to the point where we're listening to that word right now, there's something that happens viscerally in me. Like, again, where do I have to run? And he just kept blowing it. And then an assistant coach said that, you know, he's questioned his authority. Is that enough? And he just said, send him. Again, blew the whistle. And they would go until one player, I don't remember who it was, in the movie depicted, stopped and said, I am so-and-so. I think it was Mike Rizzioni maybe. Fact check? Sweet. It was Mike Rizzioni. And then Herbrooks Brooks looked at him because he knew that he broke through, and he said, who do you play for? And he erupted the United States of America. In that moment, unity got forged, and then what happened? These players that were um, lesser than that Russian team ended up winning the Olympic gold, and it's still a story that we tell. Now, it's a simple example but it's a reminder to us of just actually how united we are and what can happen as a result of that unity. It becomes winsome. I think it becomes winsome to our hearts. We don't want to live in division anymore. And that's why I think an experience like this is so amazing because we're just here for one thing and one thing only. Now, one of the things that we see as we build out unity is it's kind of a callback to the section in in Ephesians chapter 2 that I didn't cover. And I'm just going to walk it through real quick. This is how unified we are. Listen to these words. Just a simple summary and paraphrase. 2 verse 12. We were once separate from Christ, but now we've been brought near by his blood. In verse 14 of chapter 2, Paul writes, Jesus tore down the dividing wall of hostility. Jesus tore down the dividing wall of hostility. It was between Jew and Gentile. So these new followers of Jesus that were fixing their eyes on Jesus, some who were Jewish, some who were Gentile, were still at enmity with one another. Why? Because they had been divided up until that point. But Jesus did what? He tore down the wall of division, that wall of hostility between the two of them. In verse 15, it says, Jesus forged one new humanity out of the two separate groups and made peace. In verse 18, we now have access to the Father by one Spirit. Verse 19, we are now fellow citizens with all of God's people and members of God's households. We're not foreigners or strangers. I'm going to read verses 20 through 22. It says this, we are built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone, the one through whom the building is built all around and for in him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, Paul writes, you too are being built together to become a dwelling by which God lives in his spirit. So what's Paul saying there? He's saying that Jesus among us is the body of Christ. Jesus is the first stone to lay in the corner. He's the one that we're all built on. And the rest of us as stones are laid on top of that foundation as a place of orientation so that we can be that building that is being built together by God to be one. God is the author of this. And he invites us into reflecting his character into this world to be one. Thirdly, who is God? He's the author of unity. Therefore, what is unity? You know, when we think about unity, I thought about it this morning and just wrote down the first words that came to mind as I perceive it. And I think about unity, I think about it as agreement. I think about unity as a lack of conflict. And I think about unity as avoiding some conversations, which might be hard. (laughs) Now, I'm not saying that's good. Those are the first things that come to mind for me. I wonder about you, just in your own human definition of what unity actually is. Because sometimes we approach something like this concept of unity as God has forged it, and we have a misperception. What is unity? What is unity? Unity is not based on our opinions. Unity is not based on our feelings because if it were left to those grounds to be unified, it would be very clear that we would never succeed in this task of being like God. Unity is based on a person. And it's Jesus. I don't know about you, but when I drove onto the property on Wednesday evening, I got ca- captured by Mount Carmel's sign because under Mount Carmel's sign is their mission. What's the mission? Jesus only. Someone had their shirt on this morning. I saw it. Jesus only. Jesus only. The only way that unity comes in the church and in the world is through Jesus only. That's the definition. It's him. It's not all those policies, opinions, and feelings because he's, God sent Jesus to forge unity through a sacrifice on the cross in the Holy Spirit to bond us together. So the truth is, So the truth is, because of who Jesus is, there's nothing that divides us beyond what we allow. There's nothing that divides us beyond what we allow. If we're keeping our eyes fixed on the centrality of Jesus, his person, who he is, how he reflects the Trinitarian God, there is nothing that divides us beyond what we allow. Second, who are we called to be then as his church? It's to live into the calling that Jesus prayed for us. Now, a few years ago, I was reading John chapter 17, and there was something that captured me. Jesus, the picture is he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, and I wonder if maybe that one on the far left is the picture of the Garden of Gethsemane. Maybe somebody who knows Mount Carmel's artwork can kind of fact-check me on it, but it's just been something that I've thought about as I've looked at that picture. It's a tree. He's in the garden. He's about to go to the cross, and Jesus starts praying. He starts praying for his 12, at that point, the 11 that are left, because Judas had already betrayed him. He prayed that they would have courage. He prayed that the God would not take them out of the world, but would give them everything that they needed. And then in, later in chapter 17, Jesus' prayer turns to something different. He said, my prayer is not for them alone. My prayer is for everyone who comes to faith in me through their message. So quick question, who does that apply to? That applies to us. Friends, this is a prayer that Jesus prayed for you and I in advance of our entry into this world In, and in this moment, 2022. What would that prayer be? If Jesus is dying prayer for everyone who would come to faith in him through the apostles' message, that's the only prayer that he prayed before he went to the cross for us. That would be an important prayer. The prayer is, is that we would be one. And then he continues to pray just as I am in you, Father, and you are in me, as we are one, that those believers in me might be one. That's a vision that Jesus prayed before he went to the cross, that his church would be one. We live into that vision that Jesus gives to us. Second question, what are we called to comes out of that. It's this, how do we work for unity? This is really important. This gets where... Uh, this this is where it becomes practical, where we can all contribute. And I just wonder, before we step into going back to verses 1 through 3 in chapter 4, I just wonder what's divided in your world and in your life. Maybe there's some division amongst your family. Maybe there's some division in church. Maybe there's some division in your community over a lot of different things. God gives us an opportunity to work for unity in the church and through the church and the world. Let me read verses one through three again. It says this, as a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love and make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Let me unpack this for just a bit. As we go through just a few things here out of those verses, I just wanna encourage you just to listen to God in these moments and check your heart. Maybe there's something that God has for you to work a little more focused with him on as it relates to how you can contribute to unity. The first thing to capture is this, be completely humble. The word for completely is pas, and what that means is all, any, every, the whole. And so translated into English, it could be said, be all of the humble. It's an interesting grammatical statement. (laughs) Be all of the humble. As you work for unity, be all of the humble. How many of us can truly say that we have been all of the humble? I can't. I would fail that quiz. Be completely, fully, every bit of humility. And what's interesting is the word for humble here did not exist before Christianity, nor did the concept of humility, because in the ancient world, humility was not considered a virtue at all. And so the readers of this word would have said, wow, this is a different way. Because in the ancient world, it was very different. Humility was a significant weakness that was exploited in others when they showed it. And the opposite of humility is pride, and we all have it. But in faith, our standard again, what we're fixing our eyes on is Jesus himself, who is humble enough to lay aside the fact that he was God and walk our world in our skin and then die a death on the cross, as Philippians 2 tells us. So, Be completely humble. That's the calling to contribute. Second, be completely gentle. Be completely gentle. So Paul writes, I urge you, be completely humble and gentle. Be completely gentle. The word gentle means controlled. And it was a word in ancient Greek uh, that was used to describe a domesticated animal. Now, it's interesting. When you may hear that word, domesticated animal, you think like, I don't know if I want to be a domesticated animal. Like, they've been broken. They don't have a will. You know, they're like, they just have two meals a day and slobber all over our house. But what it is interestingly reflectant of, not as a bad thing, but it just means that we have a different set of control over us. That we're submitted to something different. That we're not wildly running around on our own but that we're submitted to something different. In fact, Jesus called this out in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, blessed are the meek, for they they will inherit the earth. It's very similar as a concept. To be meek does not mean to be weak. It just means that we put the power that God gives us under his control. And that power is indescribable. But if it's under his control, then it's harnessed, and we can be completely gentle. So I wonder, as it relates for how God is calling you to work for unity, is being completely gentle, under control, as you interact with your family, your neighbors, your work, uh, people at your workplace, people in the church, is that something that God might call you into? Third, what we hear here of how we can, as ordinary, average followers of Jesus, work for unity is to be patient. How many of us are killing it in patience right now? That's good, because if you raised your hand, then you would fail the completely humble part. (laughs) Patience, I I remember this. My mom would always say, Brian, patience is a virtue. (sighs) That would oftentimes be with something that I wanted uncontrollably, whether that was ice cream or cake like we had the other night, or anything. She just would say patience is a virtue. And what patience is, is a spirit that's long-suffering, that won't give up until the end. It's to be patient. It's to be kind. It's to just wait and not respond in the first five seconds when you might feel angry. To be patient. To allow for people's faults. And then it goes as a bridge to bearing with one another in love. That's a big concept in the scriptures, by the way. And that was a breakthrough reality that Jesus invited us into, to bear one another's burdens, to shoulder one another's burdens, to have patience for one another's faults, to allow for each other's faults. That's what the scriptures say. You're called to allow for the faults of your family members. You're called to allow for the faults of your spouse. You're called to allow for the faults of your kids, not necessarily to tolerate them, but to just make space and grace for us to correct one another and to walk arms linked with love as our prevailing pursuit. How many of us are doing that perfectly? Be completely humble, be completely gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. While we're doing this, we're pursuing unity. And then if there's nothing else left on the table, Paul just says, make every effort. How many of us are making every effort In the midst of division, to preserve the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. That's the call. Now, here's what Jesus has done He's already established unity through His sacrifice, and we're just called in Christ to preserve that. So I just wonder what's divided in your life? What's divided in your life? Whatever it is that comes to mind for you may be the very place where God is calling you to step in to just reflect who he is. And remember, God is one. And the way that we do that is to be completely humble, be completely gentle, be patient, long-suffering, and to make every effort. I thought about it this morning because we can do all those things and there can still be division. That's completely possible. And I thought about another word in the scriptures that Paul writes in Romans 12, 18. It says, make, um," I had it. (laughs) It'll come back. As far as it depends on you, be at peace with everyone. That's the call. As far as it depends on you. We can do all of these things and there can still be friction. We can do all of these things and there can still be division. But Paul writes, as far as it depends on you, as far as it depends on you, reflect God in his unified character through Jesus Christ himself. We're called to be one because unity proves that we serve one Lord and that Lord is Jesus and he is God. Now, last big question, what's the result of unity? I'm going to go later on into Ephesians chapter 4. If you've got your Bibles open, just read with me verses 11 through 16. Here's what it says. It's a little bit more about the church, but it says this. So Christ gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to do what? To equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ, the church, may be built up. So we're equipped to do ministry so that the church will be built up. And in verse 13, until we reach unity in the faith, that's the goal. Part of our discipleship as a collective body is to reach unity in the faith. And in the knowledge of the Son of God, and then become what? Become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. What does that mean? God's goal for us is to become more and more like Jesus every single day, individually and collectively, and we need each other to be able to do that. And in verse 14, then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching, and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, We will grow to become in every respect the mature body of Him who is the head, that is Jesus. From Him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So, as we're pursuing unity, we're becoming more and more like Jesus. We're reflecting more and more of who God is. God is one Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We've been created in His image. And we get to help one another to become fully mature, complete, whole. That's what that word means. More and more like Jesus every single day so that we'll be anchored. I think one of the reasons why this is so important, one of the reasons why unity forges growth and discipleship, why that's so important is because right now, the era, the generation that we're living in, we have more access to more information than any human generation has seen in history. Do you agree with me in that? By this point, in an average morning, we've already ingested more information than humans did prior to us walking this earth, usually, by 10, 15 in the morning. Because it's right here. It's right on our phones. Now, all that information that you and I receive is not neutral. It's not neutral. And there's a lot of places we could go with that. But it's very easy for us to get just a little bit off course by just allowing in something that would just move us maybe a little bit more away from Jesus, a little bit more divided, a little bit more strong in something that's secondary and not primary. All that information is not neutral. What do we need? We need one unified picture of people who are linked arms together, focusing on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, so that we the church can display in a radically divided time, a unity that's winsome, that reflects the love of God into this broken world. Amen? That's our call. That's what we're doing. That's what we're doing right now. And then that's what we get to do when we go back into this world. You know, sometimes for me as it relates to this topic, because we can get sidetracked by a lot of things that distract us, zooming back out and thinking about the church around the world can be really helpful. And what do I mean by that? In a lot of places within the world, in fact, the places where the church is growing the fastest, they don't get to do this in freedom. What we're doing, they don't get to do in freedom. They have to do it underground. They have to do it in secret, because they're in contexts, countries, in governments that are persecuting them to the very point of taking their lives. Last fall, one of the things that got highlighted was the church in Afghanistan, and one of the reasons why is, as the United States pulled out of that country, One of the realities that became true is Christians then became more targeted as a result in that country. I listened to a podcast interview of a pastor who's charged with planting churches. Um, They have an organization that works in Iran. They also have an organization that works in Afghanistan. And he was sharing a little bit about what was going on. These people had to make a critical choice. Do they run for the hills or do they stay put? Some did and some stayed put, likely facing death itself. And the question came, as it related to the unity that was theirs in that very time, what does discipleship look like? That was the question that the interview asked, and here's what he said. He said, we have to redefine what discipleship really means. Is it years of following Jesus, or is it obedience together? Because there are many who have followed Jesus for a very long time who are not obedient to Christ in unity. These Afghani Christians have learned to obey Jesus because Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey me, and you cannot treat the gospel in the Bible as a buffet of options you pick from. They are obeying God, tangibly feeling God's presence, and becoming more faithful together. They listen to him, and they're becoming sold out because they believe that the Bible is the whole truth and Jesus is our pursuit. Now, what's interesting, when I stop and listen to that, if suddenly the conditions became around us like it is for them, would any of the secondary stuff matter? Would any of the things that so easily divide us matter any longer? No, because the crucible of that persecution has forged them centering in to the one, Jesus only. And they're living radically, strongly in the face of even death itself. And I just offer that up because I know for me as an American follower of Jesus, I can lose sight of the fact in comfort, that real, strong persecution exists, but God forges something in that reality to become more and more who he is. Instead of us dividing, speaking the truth of love, we, not I, not you, we in our unity will grow to become more like Jesus. Speaking the truth in love, we will become in every respect mature the body of him that is the head that is Christ Jesus. We need each other and we need truth. So, as it relates to just taking this time, as we look at how in Christ we are one, I just invite you to prayerfully consider, just as God leads you, what would it look like for you? What would it look like for me to take just one more step towards the unity that reflects the unified God? Take one more step towards unity in the church that would reflect who God is. Have we obeyed Christ? Are we completely humble? Are we completely gentle? Have we been patient? Have we uh, borne one another's burdens? Have we made every effort? And to sum it up, have we elevated Jesus only? Have we elevated Jesus? Because unity has been forged by the Forged, By the one who we call upon, Jesus Christ himself, who bled and died in order that the church would be one, that we live into his prayer. And it's ours to live. It's ours to explore. It's ours to experiment with. It's ours to grow in more and more every single day. And I can't emphasize it enough. I think in this week, these four days, we're reflecting the unity that Jesus prayed and dreamed about. And I think we're getting a taste of it. And it's awesome. We're having fun, we're laughing, we're enjoying one another's kids. And it's a picture of heaven. That's the impression that I got on my heart this morning when I was praying. It's like, this is a little picture, a little glimpse of heaven. Where we're together, we're focusing on Jesus, we're worshiping, we're growing with one another. And so let's live here fully, what God would have us be, so that we can go home and reflect the unity that we've experienced in this place. On Mount Carmel, as we listen to God's voice. Would you pray with me? Lord, I'm just reflecting on the thoughts and just the statements that you give to us, even all throughout the scriptures, reaching back to the Old Testament, that you set before us life and death, and we get to choose. And part of the life that you invite us to choose through Jesus is to live a unified vision for the church, for families, for neighborhoods for schools, for workplaces, for whole communities. And the only way, Lord, that that unity is going to come is through you. And so, Lord, let us be, let us be a glimpse, however imperfect we are, let us be a glimpse, a reflection of the unity that you have, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, And may we step into it boldly with courage and strength, being completely humble, being completely gentle, bearing with one another, focusing on you alone, Lord. We need you for that. We do. We need you for that. Would you just help us with that? If there's division in families here, would you help us with that today? God, if there's division in churches, if there's division in homes, if there's divisions in neighborhoods, would you just prompt us and help us with that? We're asking for your help through Jesus Christ. God, give us what we need in order to step into your vision. And as we do so, God, let us just give you the glory for it because it's been in your heart all along. Would you help us live it now, completely unified in you? Thank you for this time. Thank you for this weekend. Thank you for new friendships. Thank you for the way that you're forging unity. And may we reflect to you more and more every single day, starting with this day, Friday, Summer Splash. Unify us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, and everybody said together, amen. Amen. Thanks, everybody.